I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is created on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations and I pay my respect to their elders past and present. I extend this respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples connected to each of the hundreds of countries around so-called Australia. I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. I am Rose Inglis, founder of Rose Tinted Law and your host. RTL is a professional development platform for curious and open-minded legal professionals. This podcast is a space to have honest conversations about legal careers with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. I'm so excited to share this honest conversation with this next trailblazer with you. Mel Scott is Senior Legal Counsel at Megaport, a global technology company based in Australia. She is also the host of the wildly popular podcast, Counsel, which explores in-house lawyer life for current and aspiring in-house lawyers. She has also gained a cult following on Instagram and TikTok as the in-house lawyer, where she gives you all the legal career advice you desperately need to hear and won't find anywhere else. At first glance, Mel's career trajectory has taken a relatively straightforward path and she has ticked more than enough boxes. After studying law at the elite Bond University, Mel secured her first proper job as a graduate lawyer at the Cause Chambers Westgarth corporate mergers and acquisitions team. After just three years, she moved in-house to Brisbane Airport and then to where she is now at Megaport. She is also a 30 under 30 winner amongst many, many other industry accolades. However, none of this was handed to Mel on a silver platter. She had to work extremely hard for each and every opportunity and beat loads of odds to achieve all of her legal career success. As a girl from Townsville, she received a scholarship to study law at Bond. She missed out on seasonals because she did not have the grades, and it was not until after she had taken a gap year after university to travel Europe that she came back to Brisbane with a better sense of self and renewed ambition to land a graduate role. Mel certainly does things her own way. And the awesome thing about Mel is that she candidly shares the secrets to her success so others may learn and be inspired by her experiences. In this honest conversation, Mel and I chat about having and doing it all. You will hear that things get pretty real pretty soon into this honest conversation. This is a long one and it's a really great one. Mel is such a gorgeous person inside and out and I'm so grateful for all the good she puts out into the world. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you. Hi Mel, welcome to the pod. Hello Rose, thanks for having me. You are my most requested guest Stop and you're it. also my most referred to person. Rose, do you know Mel? <laughs> so I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, no, that's lovely. Thank you. So let's start at the beginning. When did you decide that you wanted to study law? I think I was about 15. I was getting quite strategic about what post high school life might look like. I had a six week exchange with a high school in Brisbane and 
Townsville girl in North Queensland. That was like the big city. I came down to Brisbane and stayed with another family for six weeks. And I learned about this place called Bond University. And I realized that I needed to go there because it was beautiful. (laughs) And I fell in love. I then proceeded to figure out how I could get there on a scholarship. And that for me also started the ball rolling on what I would study. I think that law became obvious because I was just one of those typical smart kids that was going to get the grades and was good at English and drama and public speaking and I did debating and so why don't you just do this law thing I wish it was more I wish it was more than that but it's not (laughs) and it doesn't have to be mine's pretty much the same it's just like oh okay these are the skills you're good at do this okay yeah (laughs) what was it about bond that really inspired you I think it was two things when I was 15. So I was just impressed by the architecture and the look of the university. It's so beautiful. It's sandstone. It's got this this look to it that is maybe portrays more of a legacy than it actually has because it's a relatively new university. But it just had this gorgeous grandeur that I hadn't seen in Townsville or in country New South Wales where I was born. And I just hadn't exposed myself to that kind of university campus. And I just fell in love. The second thing was a boy, Rose. There was a boy that I had a crush on. I love that you admit this. Yes, he was going to go to Bond, he was saying. He never did though. He went to UQ. I don't know if I was subconsciously chasing him down there. I'm not sure. Um, But but yeah, that's kind of what it was. I just fell in love. And then a tagline at the time was like, bring your ambition to life. I was literally like their target audience high schooler. And I was like, yeah, I'm ambitious. I'll go there. I'll bring my ambition to life. It was honestly like shooting fish in a barrel, I think, for them. Their marketing just nailed it back in 2005. So That's brilliant. Um, yeah. What did you have to do to get the scholarship? I had to compete with my other year 12 schoolmates. It was a scholarship that my high school had with the university. Mm. And I had to, you know, kind of tick all those boxes, academic, leadership, school, prefect, house captain, debating, doing the rotary kind of charity stuff, volunteering, being, you know, an all rounder. (laughs) And I look, I have to say I was I did reverse engineer the process. I kind of looked at the previous scholarship winners from the years ahead and went, okay, well, they were school captain or this or that. And I guess that's what I'm going to have to be. And that was something that I just set out doing through grade 11, grade 12. So I'm really glad I had that foresight because it got me to the university and I wouldn't have otherwise. It wasn't an option for me to go there otherwise. And I guess sliding doors moment, everything would have worked out just fine. There were so many amazing opportunities, including in Townsville. But it is part mm. of my story. I think it's so interesting that you were like that even from high school because you really seem like someone who ticks all the boxes and are also very strategic with how you plan out your career. It's really interesting that you kind of just had that in you. Mm. Thank you. I, I think that's right. It's a skill to be able to look forward, have mm. a vision understand where you want to go and then reverse engineer what you need to do and who you need to become to achieve that life or that goal or that vision. Mm. And I have been ticking boxes forever. I think I got I got a taste of it in primary school and I became addicted to it. It's a success really? thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we are those, a lot of us are those kids that did good in the spelling bee or were the teacher's pet or got the award or kind of had those leadership positions or those academic achievements. And we got a taste for it and we get like, we love it. That external validation is a real thing. And I was not immune. I look at it now. 
now from a, a different lens and I'm like kind of obvious of that part of my personality that's there. But I lent into it for all of my childhood, all of my, you know, early adulthood and continued until probably maybe two or three years ago because I realized that the box ticking Mm. only gets you so far Mm. and what happens is that your brain automatically just pushes the goalposts onto the next box. So you don't actually enjoy the journey or the process. You're just chasing that high of achievement, ticking the boxes, the brass rings, the gold stars, the pat on the back, and then you move on to the next thing. And for me, it became problematic and untenable because it's an external validation. So Mm. it's not something that I give to myself kind of quietly in the moment of reflection. Mm. It's dependent upon someone else or a committee or an award judging panel or a teacher or a boss. And that's great. And it certainly helped me forge a career and achieve things that I otherwise may not have if I didn't have that characteristic. But I do think it's a double-edged sword that I see in a lot of my my legal colleagues. In the yeah. Profession. And if we don't manage it, it's unsustainable. Maybe we, we end up ticking boxes that someone else set for us and not boxes that we set for ourselves. Yep. You mentioned something happened three years ago that kind of made you realize that you are ticking other people's boxes and not necessarily your own what happened a number of things I think maybe COVID and a moment to finally pause and reflect getting off the treadmill as such Mm. coming off the high of a of a really bizarre and fascinating fitness journey that I went on that included a bodybuilding competition wow that I again ticked the box and then what you did you know it was basically forced starvation for nine months it was beyond unacceptable in terms of the nutrition advice that was given to me by PTs note to self maybe just check that people have the qualifications before you take nutrition and diet advice nonetheless I did the thing I got on the stage um, I did well and I did it in my own way and then I fell into a heap because my hormones were completely busted and I was quite underweight and quite unwell. So I think that there was that piece and I think there was a bit of a COVID and I think there was a a piece of finally getting to a point in my career where I had options and choice and I wasn't coming at it from a place of scarcity mindset and I felt like I finally popped my head up around that 10-year mark and going, okay, great, I've done it. I've got the runs on the board. I am a proven entity and I can probably now start to look at opportunities through what I might like rather than I just need a job, any job. Yes. So it was a combination of a lot of things for sure. COVID was such a turning point for so many people. Every person I know went through a massive mindset shift and shift in the way that they live, in the way Mm. they work, what they value, Mm -hmm. when they're doing it, why they're doing it. And I think it was that like forced quiet time. Mm. And it's like you just, it's like we were all sold this fallacy, I guess, that it's like you've got to work so hard and you've got to do it like this and you've got to strive to have this thing and that thing. And then it all got taken away and we're like, oh, hang on. (laughs) We We can work from home. No one cares if you've got the flashy car or the this holiday or is doing this fancy thing. It's like, yeah, it's made us all forced to reflect. So for sure. We're still in it too. I think we're still still coming out of it. And 
processing the trauma of what it was for us mm. individually. And I say that from someone that was in a state that approached it very differently to the state that you're in mm. and to the different parts of the world. Mm. Like it was Queensland really was a lovely little bubble where everything was pretty normal, except that we couldn't travel outside the state. But all my family live here. There are some in North Queensland, sunny coast, etc. But I lived in a, a relatively happy, safe little place that allowed me to go off and pursue new interests like my podcast and yeah. really get cracking on some social media things. Yeah. Um, even then, I am still processing what that was for me. So I can't even imagine what it is for others. I think it's going to take us some time and it might mm. be years before we truly understand what mm. that was. We're still in it for sure in some ways. Agree. An interesting trend that I have seen, which is not related to your circumstances, but like a lot of women that I know have started working part-time so they wow. can pursue other things. Love and that's a hundred, like I know at least three or four. Mm. And I'm like, that's cool. And they're just saying to their employers, like three or four days is what you've got. Take yeah. it or leave it. Yeah. And they're saying yes. And people, yeah, anyway, it's it's so interesting and I do agree that the changes are going to be, you know, long lasting and they are really coming to fruition. I'm only doing RTL now because of COVID because I had the time to think about it and start it and now my husband doesn't travel as much for work anymore so I've got more support at home. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You did tick all of the boxes and I do want to go back and talk a little bit about how you did all of that. So you went to Bond. Did it live up to your expectations and did you continue to be the super diligent law student? <laughs> I think I think it did live up to my expectations in a sense because I was able to spread my wings away from home for the first time, meet people from all over the world, all over the country. A huge proportion of the, the law students are Canadian and I just loved that I got to meet a lot of JD students that come from that country and now I've got friends there for life and Malaysia and Singapore and, you know, just Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne. I loved that it was a small campus and I got to meet people from different faculties. So I really do have a, a network across business, humanities, medicine, you know, all property, all the areas um, and the so law as well. I wasn't as diligent as I was at high school. I just had so much fun. I was on <laughs> yeah. every association. I was doing the drama society, the law students association. I did cheerleading. Can you believe it? My, my best friends, Nat and Rianne, and they started the cheerleading squad, the, the first cheerleading squad at Bond. It's still going, I believe. And we just had fun dancing at football games. And I was looking at some footage recently, and it's grainy 2009 footage. And, like, we just didn't get the hint that maybe no one wants to watch us dancing for, like, 10 minutes at halftime. <laughs> Um, and we just thought we were the coolest thing ever. It was probably just a bit too long, but looking back at it, like we did, we did do some cool tricks tumbling and cause I was tall, I became a base. And so I was throwing people in the air, including Crystal Kovac, who is a mutual friend of ours. And she ah. is um, an absolute sweetheart and a gymnast, but I dropped her accidentally. And I think she twisted her ankle was on crutches, but she still speaks to me. Thank goodness. And she's general counsel now at a construction engineering company, I believe. And yeah. Mm. Thank you. I held that against me, but I met so many great people. I had a great time. I wasn't particularly diligent, but I got by with a, a kind of fine credit average. I don't know. It was enough, yeah. but nothing to write home about. And I probably got a healthy level of anxiety as well, which was, you know, unexpected, but just the law school experience being around a very concentrated personality type. It was me times hundreds of us mm. all together being very competitive, very ambitious. And then you throw this little bit of stake in between the group, which is the clerkship at a law firm. And we all freaked out over that. 
in scarcity mindset kind of came up there for sure. And I believe that's still pretty prevalent in yep. the law school space. How did you fare stuff. in the, the Hunger Games that is seasonal clash oh, and graduate recruitment no, season? Worst. Didn't have the grades for it. And because bonds are trimester situation, your penultimate year is actually like your second year. And so oh, I God. had no idea what any of this stuff meant. And all of a sudden I've got to start getting a clerkship, but I don't even know what that word is. And I didn't have the grades for it, but I had a crack anyway. I applied and got instant automatic thanks, but no thanks, because I just didn't make the threshold of the computer. Dear applicant. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for, no. And it broke my heart because it was the first time I couldn't tick that box. (gasps) And I, yeah, like low-key, like couldn't handle it, (laughs) self-imploded. I didn't know what to do. And I had friends that were kind of, you know, wringing their hands about what clerkships to take and what ones not Mm. to take because they had too many options. And I was like, oh, my God, I will take your dregs, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you know what? It was looking back, it was really intense. But I suppose I understood. I'm like, well, that's kind of fair. I haven't got great grades. And I've got got lots of other things to talk about on my resume. Yeah. But it is what it is. I understood the game a bit more. I was living it out in real time because I was first person in my family to go to university, first lawyer in the family. So no one could tell me, hey, heads up, there's this thing called a clerkship. You're probably going to want to try and get one if you Mm. want this kind of career. I had to learn it in real time. And I think that's why I'm quite passionate about sharing things now for early career and law students because I didn't know and I was Likewise. figuring it out. So now I think it's incumbent upon us to share. So how did you survive and what did you do to, you know, you en- eventually yeah. ended up at Cause, which is like a dream plan A, seemingly. Mm-hmm. So how did you get there? Well, I didn't get a clerkship, so I graduated and went to Europe and did the backpacking thing, took some time Good. off to earn some money and, yeah, had a bit of a gap year the first time in 19, 20 years, whatever. I was so young and graduated with a law degree and that was the best thing and I just would recommend that to anybody, either after high school or university, if you don't do an exchange, you know, to absolutely take some time to breathe, to regroup, to see the world or, to, you know, or to see the country and to start to get to know yourself outside of an educational institution because you, without those rules and those boundaries, you can start to learn about who you are and how you might want to be in the world. And I think that that's really important when you start to set your career direction. So I did that and it was amazing. I came back to Australia with basically no money. I had 12 euro, like six pound, a couple of dollars, and I had to really hustle and think outside the box. So my boyfriend at the time, now husband, he printed off my resume like 180 times. Wait, hang um, on. Is this the guy that went to UQ who inspired you to become? No. <laughs> okay, good. I just this is the the gentleman that I met after all of this. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, UQ guy is good though. He's he's in Perth, I think. Married with kids, it's all good. <laughs> I love how we always keep tabs on those people. I know. <laughs> so embarrassing. Oh, he was a sweetheart though. Like he was a good high school boyfriend. You know, sometimes there's some bad ones, but he was a good age. Yeah. <laughs> So we printed off my resume and I literally just pounded the pavement around Brisbane City and handed it out at every law firm office, barrister chambers, all of them up and down. I know where they all are in the city, big and small. And I did that for two or three days. I had blisters. I had to go to the uh, big W in the MacArthur Centre and buy some some flip-flops to change because I had blisters. And (laughs) I I was so, I hated it. I hated it, but I had nothing else 
to do. I was applying for everything that was on SEEK and I was speaking to the careers development office at Bond. I was trying to think of anyone I might know that might know someone that would be Mm -hmm. a law graduate. I didn't really have anybody in my network, but I just did what I could. And, you know, we didn't have LinkedIn at the time. If I had LinkedIn, I would have been a weapon, I swear. (laughs) Actual menace, DMing, cold calling, cold email. I would have been on fire, but we didn't have it. So I had to get physical and (laughs) approach these good. And it wasn't fun, but I did it. And it was fruitless. In fact, I got no calls from that effort. And the next week I was going to print off more resumes and walk around the Milton and the Fortitude Valley areas and start to do some of the suburban law firms or the the inner city law firms, but not CBD. And I did get a call from Carolyn, who uh, was a wonderful career development officer at Bond, who said, how would you feel about interviewing at a major national commercial law firm next week? And I said, um, uh, uh, <laughs> yes. It turns out they were looking for extra grads to start in the graduate rotation in March. So that was maybe two months from then. Wow. And they didn't have a pipeline because the GFC had kind of reduced their pool of clerks and they were calling the universities to ask for, you know, in quotes, star candidates. And I was on her list thank goodness, along with one or two others. So I went through the interview process. I was asked about my grades. I did get the opportunity to show, hey, look, but I've improved over time. Mm. And you can see that once I applied myself and started to get some feedback on how I was missing the mark, you can see towards the end of my transcript that things really did improve, which they did, especially as I was also taking electives that I was interested in. So Mm. I was doing things like sports law, intellectual property, and things that I just felt a little more relevant, modern, and, and maybe just were just of more interest to me. So I was getting those those grades where I was more passionate. And I guess they took that and they were like, oh, I'll give her a go. And I'll always be so grateful to the partners and seniors, uh, sorry, special counsel that gave me that opportunity. And I started in the graduate rotation and I had severe imposter syndrome because everybody knew everyone from the clerkships, but myself and the other person that came from Bond. And I guess I just tried to fit in again, yet again. You know, I didn't, felt like a bit of an outsider at mm. Bond being a scholarship kid from the country. And I guess I felt like a little bit of an outsider once I got to the big city law firm wearing mum's hand-me-down suit because, yet again, I was I didn't come through the, the yeah. usual ranks. So that was, I, I love that yeah. story because it really demonstrates like my advice and what I have experienced and what I know is that you just have to hustle. Mm-hmm. And if you want something, like if you're looking for a job, you have to hit up every single person, opportunity, anything that you can think of, because you never know which one it will be that lands. You could have bumped into someone on the street. Yeah. Or like that's pretty unheard of that like, oh, course doesn't have enough grads. We need more. Hey, careers advisor, do you know anyone? Oh Mm -hmm. yes. And she you were only top of mind because you had called her and said, Hey, I'm looking for that. And like you don't know what's going to land, but like just something will. That's you have to and you have to believe that it will. Because it definitely won't happen if you don't do it. (laughs) Absolutely. You only need one opportunity. You just need one crack in one door that you can push open to get a start in the law because it's tough and the supply and demand of the market has not shifted. Law schools pump out graduates year on year by the hundreds, thousands. We've got Mm -hmm. 35, I think, 35 law schools in this country and we're cheap. Law students are cheap to throw, to, to kind of push through. 
they pay a lot for their degree and they don't cost a lot. You need a lecture, a lecture hall, not even with webinars online. You don't need medicine equipment or yeah. whatever you might need for, you know, yeah. for things that are more, are more technical. And so the universities, which are a business, let's not forget, yeah. they love law students and they pump us out and they do not promise jobs and they probably should, no. but they don't. And the, the industry struggles with the pipeline. And a lot of people with degrees don't end up becoming practitioners, which is not a problem. And maybe they didn't want to. And I think that a law degree opens up so many amazing opportunities outside of being a practicing solicitor. High school students and people at the start of the pipeline should be held to account a little more about graduate opportunities. If you don't go through the usual pipeline, which 95% of students don't, they don't mm. have a clerkship, you do have to hustle. And I know that word has negative connotation just it's a bit on the nose, but I guess the other word for it is hard work. You have mm. to put in the time because if you've got the time, that's kind of all you do have when, you, when you're a graduate and you haven't got a job yet. You've got time. So start to get cracking. Start a spreadsheet. Put your dream jobs out there. Get on LinkedIn. Search for people at that company in that law firm and start a spreadsheet of who you've contacted and when and when you're following up and when you're having coffees and keep tabs on these people. Because I guarantee that no one else is really doing it like that. And the tenacity will set you apart. Mm. If you haven't got the top grades, then your work ethic, your tenacity, your ability to think outside the box and problem solve will, will set, set you apart and probably get you into a, a workplace that's going to be better suited to your personality. Because people, like-minded people will see that in you and will just really appreciate your diligence and give you an opportunity. And I know I do that you know, on a weekly basis, when people come to me in the DMs one way or another and show a genuine interest in my content and ask a very specific question or ask for a very specific introduction to someone that I know, I'm going to do what I can to help. Mm. able to help people find paralegal positions at in-house departments or in, mm. other, in other areas because I really appreciate that a lot of us are just trying to have a crack at it. Mm. We aren't all entitled or come through, a, you know, a family of, of legal professionals. And so we have to find other ways. And you cannot pee what you cannot see. I say that all the time. And so if anything, I just love to prove that it is possible. I found my way to a big firm and you know, mm. then I left after three years. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about that. That's pretty quick to move on. It was. Yeah, it was controversial. It was like, <gasps> how dare she? Oh, my goodness. She's going in-house at three years? No. Please talk to me about that. I went through my graduate rotation and I was observing a lot. I was very quiet, which is unusual for me, but I was very, very aware and I was observing everything. And I could see pretty quickly that it wasn't going to be for me long term. The concept of doing the time to become a partner just didn't appeal to me mm. for whatever reasons. I think that my personality is not someone that is a subject matter expert. I was restless to a point, but doing the work and still learning and being respectful and, and trying to find my way in private practice world. Then I got sent on a secondment. So I went into a client, which was Q Super at the time, now been acquired by Sun Super. And I sat amongst the business as an in-house, you know, kind of legal counsel to help on just a very bespoke project. And I loved it. I could see a whole new way of practice that I didn't know existed before then. I got to work with people from all over the business. I wasn't billing my time in six-minute increments. Yeah. 
I just adored it. Also, I was leaving at five o'clock and I was shocked that when I was leaving at 5.10 or 5.15, it was at, the office was actually empty. What I don't think they knew was that I was going back to the law firm and doing a double shift because I had to get my billables up on, a, on another M&A deal that was happening down there. So for a three-month period in 2012, I, I did do a double shift. I don't That's know hard. if anyone realised I was doing that, but I did it. And then I'd go home, get a few hours sleep, and then go back to, to the secondment all fresh and perky and then go and do a kind of a, I don't know, 5 to 8 or 9 p.m. helping on some due diligence for an acquisition. And I did that for quite a while. (laughs) Was that like a really big transaction that you were working on? Like what was, why did you have to do both? Or was it the expectation of the firm or this is career defining? No, it wasn't career defining, but it was all hands on deck because everyone else was working just as hard. And I felt like I wanted to be a part of the team and I really liked the team. And the other junior lawyer is a good friend of mine, just needed help. And so, you know, and I was already kind of getting my billables as such because I was blocking out eight hours to go on secondment. Um, But I guess the opportunity to get more billables was enticing because I could then see my way to a bonus, maybe. Maybe that's what I was thinking. It was a team effort for me and I really wanted to pitch in. I think it was probably also encouraged. (laughs) I can't quite remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how did you know it was time to move on? Once I realised that this thing called in-house existed, it's like the whole world opened up. And I started to, yet again, reverse engineer what I might need to do to become a viable legal counsel candidate and to shift from private practice to in-house. And to do that at a junior time, it was very rare. And junior in-house lawyer positions came up every six months. They were far and few between. So I started speaking to recruiters and get a sense of what I might need to do, how I should position myself. I had the secondment, which was a big tick, but I started studying. Were the recruiters helpful? Very. Yes, they were. One in particular, who's now working in-house, HR in-house, but Ashley Stewart was so helpful. I was always so grateful that she gave me the time because I was so junior and she normally didn't work with such junior people, I don't believe. So mm. I think, you know, she she gave me some pointers and it took me another year or so to find an opportunity and I interviewed for a few, but they didn't go anywhere. And I was studying. The College of Law has a diploma of in-house practice. So oh. I took that on my own time and with my own money. Yeah. I kind of didn't want to ask the firm because <laughs> I suppose it was obvious then that maybe I wasn't <laughs> committed to the associate, senior associate path that some of the others were. And yeah, so then it came up to the third year mark and Brisbane Airport Corporation came up. Uh, they were looking for a lawyer at that level. I applied and I got the job. So then I started over there with my first in-house gig. Cool. I had a look on your LinkedIn to kind of understand what that job was. And I was like, that sounds big. <laughs> like this is literally what I thought. I was like, oh, so you go from a law firm where you're like, here's your work. You do this like relatively the same kind of kinds of things, mm. deal to deal, especially in M&A. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then you go to in-house at Brisbane Airport. What was that transition like? And what was your job like? Talk about the deep end. <laughs> It was a complete career shift in every way. I was going from due diligence, just reviewing contracts, doing M&A and helping out with corporate governance, ASX, listing rule advice, but all pretty kind of within a defined scope. Yeah. And then I went to the other end of the spectrum to advise a corporation that is essentially a mini city council in that it has a federal lease on the land and it's massive in Brisbane. 
everything happens out there. The legal team have to look at water, sewerage, solar panel, electricity, roads, maintenance, gardening, the airport itself. The DFO Skygate area is all commercial and retail leasing. There's industrial leasing over the back with the hangars and the FedEx and toll and all of the freight and carriers. There's the retail shop leases within the airport themselves. There's the commercial agreements with the with the airlines. There's a triple C competition law issues because of parking and, and competition with off airport and on airport parking. There's construction. There's the new parallel runway which was being built. There's technology infrastructure. There's employment. There's privacy which was starting to bubble up as a hot topic that we know and love today. There's everything that you could imagine. And I was the junior on the team, which was wonderful because I did have the incredible blessing of working with such senior professionals. I, yeah, was the most junior by by at least eight years. And then I had this plethora <laughs> of senior associate level, special counsel level experts from all walks of life, aviation, litigation, privacy, construction. Everyone had had amazing careers and I got to learn and work with them all. I shadowed some of them on big matters, but I also got to take control of matters myself uh, to a point. And I suppose I just jumped in the deep end and immersed myself. It was intense. I was really anxious for a lot of it. I didn't realize I was until I think I moved into another role and looked back and went, oh, yeah, that's probably a little more, a little more of a stress state than I realized. And having said that, though, I learned an incredible amount. I solidified the thought that in-house was for me because then I realized it really was. I just loved so many things about practicing that way. And I just got to work learning how to be an in-house lawyer and a Jill of all trades, master of some. And, you know, that's an ongoing process. But I, I really cut my teeth there in many ways. Was it hard to get across so many different areas of law? Did you have to work like a lot of extra research? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think on any given day, I was looking at something around a lease then a privacy issue, then a regulatory, you know, Airports Act advice issue, maybe back to another lease for a, <laughs> a contract with a vendor to do some concreting. I don't know. Like it was insanely diverse. And I think I loved that. It really was, it wasn't a chore for me yeah. to take on that level of diversity because it just was how I liked to learn Mm. how I liked to be in the world. Then I, I suppose I started to get a sense of my boundaries and where I was outside of my comfort zone and we needed to brief things out to external legal. And that is also a skill because you really have to understand your limitations. You then moved to Megaport. So what prompted that move? I was probably looking for something international, Yep, something a little more dynamic and fast-paced. An airport is many things and it is, if anything, a safe and risk-adverse environment, as yeah. you would expect. A global tech company is yeah, the complete opposite. <laughs> Very different. Yep. And I wanted to continue to be a relevant in-house lawyer for the next whatever years, mm. 20, 30, whoever, I don't know. I could see very clearly that data protection, cybersecurity, privacy, and an understanding of SaaS contracts, software as a service, was going to be a massive part of how I could remain relevant. Now, the airport did have that work, but one of the other lawyers was very uh, heavily involved in that. And there mm. probably wasn't a lot of space for me to move, which was fine. 
you know, you can only do so much with what you've got. And at the end of the day, it was just a very different environment where I am now. So I started to look around and put the feelers out there, talk with the recruiters again, talk with my network that I had now. And I wrote down a list of like my unicorn job and what it would look like. And it was it honestly felt like a unicorn. I laughed at myself in a way. I thought, this doesn't exist. A global technology company headquartered in Brisbane that startup that needs a lawyer that I'll get to travel and, and also, you know, tick, 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 tick. And I wrote it all down, dream salary, all of it. Six months later, here it is. This is the opportunity. It actually existed. I think I manifested it. <laughs> I wish I still had that list. I'll have to look for it. And yeah, so I then I started at Megaport and that was five years ago and I'm still here. That's so good. When you are going into in-house, is it more important that you just get a job or should people like look for companies where they're genuinely interested in the thing that that company does? That would be ideal. Yeah. You want to be passionate about the place that you work. You don't want to work for a mining company if you're an environmentalist. (laughs) Yeah. Those values don't necessarily align. They might. Some of the mining companies are doing interesting green things. It's a a little bit interesting to dissect what the intention is behind some of that. But needless to say, it's a values-driven proposition. So if you have the opportunity to be specific, write down those five or 10 companies that you know and love and use yourself. If you want to work in the B2C, you know, kind of business to consumer environment, right? You know, Mecca, as an example, was hiring a legal counsel a little while ago. Maybe you maybe you love makeup. Maybe you want to be in fashion. Maybe you want to be in tech. Mm. Maybe you really love what a particular company is doing in the cyberspace or the blockchain space or the, the generative AI space, Web3, whatever it might be, start with your passion. Maybe you love music or theatre or dance. Well, you know, Sydney Theatre Company is always looking. I see them often looking for paralegals and lawyers and QPAC here in Brisbane is as well. I know they have a legal team. Flight Centre has a legal team. Almost every company is going mm. to have a legal team. And if they don't, then maybe they should. But yeah, you know, the in-house, the in-house space within a corporate is trending up. People are, the teams are getting bigger and companies Mm. are understanding how much money you can save by having your resource in-house. And they're hiring lawyers earlier and earlier in their careers. Thank goodness. And I know that's a controversial piece and I'm always happy to talk with with my colleagues about it, but I think it's fantastic because it is a very different way of practice and it is a skill set that you should feel able to hone earlier if you want to without going to private practice or Mm. without staying there for a long period of time. I want to do a whole myth-busting piece on that. Someone released a podcast yesterday, which multiple people DM'd me, being like, this is full of advice that is not true. Wow. <laughs> and I feel like we might have debunked some of those just with that that brief conversation. Love it. Yeah. Oh, you need to send me the uh, – you're going to have to put that in the show notes now. Don't bury the lead, Rose. I want to know what point it is. <laughs> the thing is, and look, I get the argument. I understand that there are pros and cons to everything. Yeah, Of course, it helps me better be a better buyer of legal services, which I am now, if I understand the business of the law firm. But I also buy from legal tech vendors and I've never worked for a legal tech company. Yeah, You know, like procurement is procurement. You can understand the basics and you can absolutely get a sense of it by working with senior lawyers that have worked in those environments. Also, I just know too many fantastic 
brilliant, pragmatic and highly respected general counsel that did not start in private practice. So Mm. you cannot tell me that it's not possible. Is it the only way to do it? Is it the best way? I don't know. There's so many ways to kind of cut the pie that trying to find this traditional path, this is the one way it has to be for all of us. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. No, the world has shifted. Is Mm. there a preference? Maybe. As an example, I know that Telstra work very closely with a top tier firm and almost exclusively take their in-house lawyers from that firm. Mm. So if you want to work for Telstra in-house legal, you're probably going to have to find your way to that firm. Now, to get to that firm, you're probably going to have to have a certain GPA. There is a game for that kind of, of experience. But if you don't want to work for Telstra, you know what I mean? Like, then that's okay as well. (laughs) Looking at the end goal, looking at people that are doing what you want to do and reverse engineering it, having a look at their CV online, which you can now because it's all on LinkedIn, Mm. what I was given for that information when you're the grad. So helpful, isn't it? For sure. So how has your role at Megaport changed over time? A lot. I started as kind of a mid-level legal counsel and since then I had promoted to senior legal counsel and now I'm guess I'm a managing legal counsel so I have people reporting to me as the team has grown and also yeah there's just been a, a huge shift in the company itself I was employee number 56 and now we have I think 304 around the world wow. and that's in 5 years it was truly a startup to scale up now a maturing tech company in a fascinating whirlwind of a tech bubble macro environment that's just, you know, absolutely wild at the moment, but nonetheless learning a lot again. So I, I'm I'm just rolling with the punches at this point. Working in tech is really interesting. There's a lot happening around the world in our space. The bubble has burst because finally I think people realised that you cannot value a company at such high multiples when it's not turning a profit. And that's not for my company. That's just across the board. You have to come back to the business fundamentals. And because it's a cool, funky tech thing, it's not immune from being able, you know, to be a business, you have to actually be making money. This system and the shareholders and investors from Silicon Valley everywhere have finally realized that. And I think it's really great. And I think that the companies that have an underlying value proposition that is important and interesting and actually has a product market fit, they will endure and they'll make it through. And the ones that don't, they'll, they won't. And that's kind of how the capitalist market should work. So it's a, it's a wild time. I can't wait to look back on this time in, you know, five years. Yeah, I, I've, I've grown a lot as a leader, as a human, as a lawyer. I got to travel. I've been able to learn about all the things that I wanted to learn. And now I'm learning about people management and, and growing a team and a thriving, high-performing brilliant team that love coming to work and also celebrating their uniqueness and how they want to be as legal professionals. And that's a whole new a whole new level of learning for me. How are you cultivating those leadership skills? Some of it is just innate. It's just who I am. I'm the eldest of five, so I've always oh. been a leader. I just am a big sis and that's are- <laughs> kind of where the moniker from TikTok comes from because yeah. I can't help myself. It's just who I am yeah. to my core. I just want everyone around me to be happy and healthy and thriving as I want for myself and if they're not then I just love to mentor and guide and coach and and help where I can it's it's just who I am and I've tried dimming it down and conserving my energy but I just can't no (laughs) it's how I roll and yes I bring that I bring that positivity and that passion to the workplace and I surround myself with people that want to work in that kind of environment with that kind of leader because it's certainly not I'm pretty high energy and it's not for everybody and 
yeah, I guess that's just a part of who I am. But I also take cues from the wonderful leaders that I've worked with. Mm. And I also take cues from the leaders that I've worked with that were not effective. Yes. And I learned, I learned not, sorry, what not to do. And this is 10, 12 years in the making of observing mm. as a junior. Mm. Now I get the opportunity to be the kind of leader that I wish I had. That informs almost every decision. It's, it's an empathy. It's from head and from heart. But I lead with the heart truly mm. because I am working with people who have lots of other things going on in their life. And I know that they're here to do their best. And if they haven't shown up in a particular way or their work was a bit off or something's going a bit wrong, my default isn't how dare they, they've dropped the ball, they've made me look bad, you know, I'm going to absolutely slay them. My default is what's going on? Is everything Mm. okay? Did I not give clear instructions? What can I do to help get the outcome that I'm looking for? Because it's it's a two-way kind of street. So yeah, I'm still finding my feet as a leader, but I, I feel like I'm coming into my own because I've been waiting a long time to step into this space, I think. That's exciting. Yeah. As well as enjoying your wildly successful legal career, you have developed a huge social media or cult. <laughs> following online as the in-house lawyer and also career big sis. Why did you start this? I've got it written on my Instagram. I've got a highlight called my why. I really, because I just know exactly how I was feeling and I wrote it down for posterity's sake. And I think that it really was just to share what I wish I knew at the earlier stage of my career. Honestly, Mm. that's what it was. That's my why too. That's it. That's it. That is literally it. And you know what? Some people will take it. Some people won't. It'll yeah. be for some and it won't be for some. And that's not yeah. a problem. You're not going to be for all people. It's really, it doesn't bother me at all. You can unfollow, you can mute, you can unsubscribe. Yeah. Whatever. It's all good. Yeah. I, I just love to, I say it again, you cannot be what you cannot see. So I want to show that it is possible to be a lawyer that works in-house for a certain type of company that really actually loves working as a lawyer, has fun. I actually have fun in my job. What? Are you serious? And I also get to have a little bit of a side hustle because I've worked it through with my company to have a podcast and to make money from that and to have a social media following that actually benefits the company. It's like having an in-house influencer. I know that sounds a little... mm, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> I don't, a bit wanky. I'm not sure if you can. I don't think so. It's certainly something that certain types of companies will value yeah. and should value. Yeah. So Megaport have always been um, supportive. Yes, have. Yeah. Very much so. In fact, my chief um, marketing officer specifically reached out to me. He's based in San Francisco, reached out and asked how he can help amplify my message. And they ended up doing a really great kind of piece on the Megaport website about like an employee profile. And, you know, it was a great selling point for like, hey, come and work here because if the lawyer's kind of cool, then imagine how cool everybody else is. That's <laughs> so great. I think it was, I think it's fair. I'm an advocate for where I work. So why not amplify that voice? I'm working within the social media policy of the company. I'm working within the ethical guidelines and the code of conduct of the Queensland Law Society. My boss is happy with what I'm doing. And I'm happy with what I'm doing. It's, yeah. it's it's appropriate, but I'm always I'm always checking through that lens. I work for a listed company, so I can't share almost anything of what I do daily. It's all very yeah. confidential, and that limits my content, which is fine. Most of my stuff is just pictures of cute dogs that are in the office. But you know what? Just um, cute, cute Connecticut mum outfits, right? <laughs> a little bit of a fashion, Connecticut mum and your pearls. Yeah. pearls. I've got someone today. I think I've got it. It's a gorge. 
Thank you. From <laughs> Decuba. I think that's how you say it. De Gorgeous. Anyway, uh, it's, it's a bit of fun and it's a bit of lightness. I, I take my work very seriously, but I don't take myself seriously at all. <laughs> I think I'm just a bit of a clown, but yeah. When you get me in a certain environment, and it can shock people sometimes when I have to get my lawyer voice on, it can be very powerful because I do mean business and I'm here to protect the interests of the company. But yeah. it doesn't mean that we can't have a bit of fun along the way, surely. Life's too short. Yeah, that's such a, a good piece of advice. And also a reminder that the stars will align. Like, you're right, you won't fit in, like, a lot of areas of the legal profession, even a lot of lawyers will stick their nose up to social media and a lot of workplaces will have a more conservative approach and be like, oh, they're too big for their boots or, oh, no, it's too, you shouldn't talk about this stuff on social media, but the mm -hmm. right places mm -hmm. will really value all of that spark that you bring. For sure. See it as an asset. It won't see it as like you're too big for your boots or you're too this or you're too that. They'll be like, oh, my goodness, what an asset. Mm -hmm. Let's let's promote this like let's mm. celebrate her let's use it to the company's advantage mm -hmm. and, and hers like I think that's mm. really really good and I'm kind of not surprised that it is a tech company and it's actually far away from the legal industry mm. but then I think it, you are a great example that the legal industry can look at you as well and be like oh yeah, it can be quite good. It doesn't have to be just the big bad social media or you can only say very like bland things. Mm. You can have your personality. You can talk, you can give career advice. And You're so everything. right. I found myself in the perfect, beautiful Venn diagram of the place that I work, the industry that I'm in and the seniority that I also can command at like a certain level of, you know, no, I will be doing this and like if you don't like it, then we'll have a conversation. Not everyone can do that. That's a huge privilege yeah a lot of people want to have a voice and they can't they don't feel safe for whatever reason and I I don't take it for granted I think that's why I go hard and I actually don't think I'm taking I'm making the most of the opportunity enough because it's a moment in time where you can get the reach the organic reach that you will not get when people finally get their head around and, and come to the table mm. I'm able to to say something half interesting and get 15,000 views on LinkedIn. Now that's just because there's it's just supply and demand. But once everyone finally catches up, that'll go down. So I'm often thinking to myself, I'm really not making the most of this. I really should be doing more, but I also do more than than I need to anyway. So yeah. it, it's a fine line for me to balance that, but I do know that it'll go away. And I do know that I'm well ahead of the curve here and, I, and that's all right. But I I know it's a moment in time, a flash in the pan. And, and I also guarantee that people will come to me in a few years and say, gosh, I really wish I took your advice. And that's okay too, because you need to be in the, the right mindset. You need to have your confidence in a certain level to put yourself out there. And again, not everybody has that or mm. has the desire to do that, but that's, that's a different conversation. I see the opportunity. I've made a good crack of it. I've created a space for myself that is just a little male-sized hole in the world. People can listen or not. I don't care. It's fine. I'm going to do it for one follower or for 10,000. It's not a problem. And I've met some wonderful people, yourself included. I've had amazing opportunities to speak, to um, to go to on campus, to, to, share, to share the good word with students, to talk about what it is like to be an in-house lawyer, something I didn't know about at university. doesn't mean they're going to want to do it. That's okay. But at least they'll have more options available to them and an understanding of how you can be as a lawyer is just so much broader than working for one of six firms in a city. Yes. It's so much more than that. But you yes. you cannot be what you cannot see. So you yes. need to go and show it. And I, I love that 
there are more of us doing it now and there will be more to come. And um, yeah, I just feel very grateful to work at a place that allows me to do that and is actually using me as an example for other employees. They're like, can you please do more of what Mel's doing on LinkedIn? Because it's actually really good for us. It's good for our brand. It's good for sales eventually. It's hard to track <laughs> that. But, you know, brand and sales are different things. And this is all a brand play. It's a long-term thing. And yeah, you won't be all, you won't be all things to all people. And I do get into interesting conversations with uh, more conservative individuals. And I do receive interesting looks when I'm speaking publicly at law firms, one of which I spoke about on LinkedIn just this week. And I kind of don't mind because if you're not getting a little shade, then what are you doing? You're not putting yourself out there and speaking up for something. And I'm not even talking about much that's controversial. So it it doesn't bother me. It's just unfollow. It's fine. Yeah. Now, as you can probably tell, Mel and I could have chatted for hours. We had only booked in one hour to record this episode, but after an hour of already great conversation, we had barely scratched the surface of what I had actually even intended to cover with her, which is what she usually talks about on social media, which is job applications and interview tips and things like that. Instead, we ended up delving into something far more juicy. We talked about anxiety and people pleasing and shifts in goals and priorities and how we navigate it all. Stay tuned, you're gonna love this part of the conversation. Mel, at the beginning of the conversation, you went to a really interesting place, which was a kind of reckoning that you had three years ago when you realized that you were actually ticking everybody else's boxes and not your own. Mm. That's big. Yeah. I feel like it was, I don't know, maybe like my Saturn returns. (laughs) How old were you? Well, I was that age. Yes. I was coming up to 30. It was that and it was quarter life crisis, maybe third Mm -hmm. life crisis. I don't know. It was this like, oh, wow, I've been following you know, this path set before me and it's amazing and I've ticked all the things. Do I want to keep doing that or do I actually want to get back in touch with what I want and who I am? Because they might be the same thing, but they might be different. And I was absolutely burnt out. I crashed and burned in such a spectacular way. I never felt so low and so depleted and so unsure. And, oh, my gosh, I just had a chance. You know, when you drop your bundle, you've got a chance to pick everything back up that works and leave things that don't. But it took me a while to work through it, probably a good year. And I had the help of a wonderful coach, a mindset coach called Anthony Noud, who's still working and has a business called Awakened Lifestyles here in Brisbane. They just do inner work is what they call it. It's Mm -hmm. an interesting interesting kind of collection of, I don't know if you want to call it psychology or psychotherapy, counselling, vision board, big picture stuff, the NLP kind of neuro-linguistic programming. Some of it's a bit woo-woo and some of it's more science-based and throw it all together in a modality that just very much worked for me. Mm. And I got to go back to basics and for the first time, if ever, maybe since childhood, really have a look at what makes me tick, what I what I love to do, what brings me joy. You know, heaven forbid I should allow joy into my world. What could that look like for me? And I was pretty close on a lot of it, which is amazing. And I had wonderful relationships, um, interpersonal relationships, family and friends. And I was just, everything there was was really quite lovely. If anything, I wanted to spend more time with the new people coming into my life in the form of nephews and nieces and mm. starting to grow that new generation. 
And I guess that's where the idea of the social media and the podcast came out of as well, because I just missed being creative and trying something new. So it was a long process, but it was, you know, there were dark days for sure, where I felt very lost and like, who am I? And those existential, you know, I was deep into the Eckhart Tolle power of now vibes, like going to the seminars, looking for anything that would bring me a sense of what am I here? And is this, you know, am I really just here to kind of pay bills and like, you know, like what, what? Mm. There's got to be more. So I think it's an ongoing process as I think it's a human experience, but I just seem to learn my lessons pretty, pretty hard, pretty quick, but I don't like to make the same mistake twice. Mm. So I, I started to just design a life that was going to be closer to who I am and the vision that I had for myself. And that meant leaning into being out there, being loud, talking about things that other people aren't talking about, using my voice and using these social media platforms that are free and available and so easy and and an amazing way to connect with people all over the world. And it's cringy at first. You feel like such an absolute idiot. And people are laughing behind your back and you know it and I knew it and sometimes not behind your back and sometimes not even very kindly or even in the legal profession, just randoms that you, you went to uni with or friends of friends. Yeah. They're like, well, who does Mel think she is? You know, and if I had a dollar for every time someone had said, oh, she's just too big for her boots, you know, I would have started collecting when I was in grade six and I overheard Mrs. Tui say that in primary school. So, <laughs> you know, it's just that if I have a book, that's literally the title, Too Big for Her Boots. That's just who I am. <laughs> and I know you say it all the time on the podcast, but I am a tall poppy. And in this yeah. country, it's not fun to do that, to put yourself out there, to, to speak yeah. up, to put your head above the parapet. But I have a lot of amazing American colleagues and I I travel there a lot. And a lot of our awesome legal content creators are American. And the way they approach it is so different. Like, I can't even tell you. And I I get a lot of inspiration from that. But operating in a world that doesn't love it when women are always a bit louder outspoken is a fun one to play up against. I get that on LinkedIn a little bit sometimes. Yeah. So that's okay. It's always a third connection middle-aged man in lycra vibes um, who doesn't love what I have to say. So, you know, yeah. we have a conversation in the DMs and we agree to disagree and that's okay. That's fine. But, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of not answering your question directly. I, I think I just had a burnout. What reassess. did the burnout look like for you? I think it was a depressive state and I think I was just sad. I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have, I had lovely friends and family and a great job, and yet I still felt a bit like lacking. I was doing my in-house thing, which was supposed to be the thing that I, you know, really wanted to do. And I was out of the private practice, billable hour kind of treadmill. And by any external metric was successful and yet still felt a little bit of emptiness. Yeah. And I just had to take some time to figure that out. And I don't know if we ever really figure it out fully. But I became open to trying some different things and reassessing boundaries, reassessing my people-pleasing tendencies, my perfectionist tendencies, and, you know, creating a podcast from scratch when you have no idea what you're doing will absolutely challenge you on being a perfectionist. Oh, yeah. And letting myself just have fun again and not be such a serious lawyer all the time. And I don't know, I've just been, uh, I suppose, going back to who I am before the world told me 
all the things I should be to be a serious lawyer, a serious professional. I'm just going back to someone that loves to wear pink and pearls and be girly and feminine in in the way she dresses and yet be a complete baddie in the boardroom and be direct and professional and give great legal advice when required. I don't think those two things are exclusive of each other and I'm finding a way to to bring that femininity into a, a corporate masculine space. That's fine. It's fun. It's just who I am. If it's not appreciated, then I'll find somewhere there that it is. If it's not appreciated ever, then I don't know. I'll just, I don't know, go create my own company or something. <laughs> so what, Do what you, you're doing. <laughs> I've loved the creativity. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that is what was lacking. Mm-hmm. Very prone to burnout. Mm. have been through my own bouts of depression and anxiety, especially anxiety. Oh, yeah. We love it. Like, it's oh, just yeah. there all the time. It's like, hey, friend, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're uh, back now, righto. But I, it's a superpower. It spurs us on to, you know, I find myself anxious because I care, mm. because I've got this flight or fight response because my amygdala is freaking out because I care. Yeah. And when I get an opportunity to learn about myself, to practice my deeper breathing, to meditate, to look after myself, to do all What kind of meditation do you do? I do lots of things. I I love Insight Timer. It's my favourite app. I love Mary Maddow. She's the sweetest lady with a Scottish accent that puts me to sleep almost every night. I adore her. And I just relax and focus on my breathing and just focus on relaxing kind of one muscle group at a time. Yeah. (sighs) And I'm kind of doing it now just as we speak. (laughs) That's nice. it's, it's a good way just to remind the body that you're not in danger. It's everything's okay. When I was 29 turning 30, the Saturn returns time, mm. thing, I went through a really similar, I don't know, like I was actually doing my master's and I was going to the library to do my dissertation and I would just cry. I would just cry. I was like, what is going on? And it just turned out that like a lot of big things happen. Like, you know, you go from your 20s to your 30s, that's a big one. I was also about to get married. I was also just had a lot of personal things going on. Yeah. Um, and any either one of those things would have brought on a lot of, I don't know, self-reflection. But then I love also being out of my comfort zone and I actually love the stress feeling. I actually can't, there's a big part of me that likes it. But one thing I'm prone to is that you can just feel you can get too addicted to it and then your body doesn't remember how to relax. (laughs) And that's why the yoga, meditating, doing these. And now I love swimming because that's like blocks everything out. But I think it's very common amongst lawyers because we love that. We love the rules. Our whole career is rules, following rules. Yeah, we're we're just a certain personality type that likes things a certain way. We're competitive, we're ambitious. You put us all together, it's like it is like the Hunger Games. And, you know, it's just so obvious looking looking out, looking in. And the best part about working in-house is I do get to surround myself with different professionals, people. It's refreshing. All different walks of life who haven't studied law and don't have any kind of inclination to and so you get a perspective and a balance and I love that I think it's very healthy yeah no but I think it's very common I think we don't talk about it enough and I'm always here for that conversation because mental health is health my brain is full of chemicals if the chemicals get out of whack I won't feel great so what can I do to look after my chemicals my brain my health because like my brain is all I have, really. I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a lab. I don't use my hands. These little, yeah. you know, look at them. They're so dainty. They've never done a hard day's work. <laughs> little keyboard hands. But if my brain's not well, I can't function well because I'm getting paid to use my brain. So it's fundamental. I've got the water. I've got the greens. I've got the exercise. I've got the sleep. 
I've got this stress mm. management and I don't get it perfect all the time. Social media, as much as I love it, doesn't help and I need to have time limits on myself, which I do. Don't always adhere to them, especially on TikTok, but, yeah. you know, I'm conscious of that. And slowing the brain down with reading, with mindfulness, getting out in nature, leaving your phone at home, going for a walk, little mm. things like that. Hanging out with a dog, playing with like a little baby, cute mm. little cat, I don't care. Like there's just, yeah. <laughs> just little things to do to look after yourself because you only have, if you're working in the law as a legal professional, it is our brains that we are getting paid to use. So we And it's also stressful them. and high stakes. It is. Right? It is. Like, it just is. Yep. Yeah, the company's coming to me, a million, almost you know, a billion-dollar company, 25 countries around the world employing 300 people and asking me to make decisions that could get us into a problem that we have to talk to the ASX about or <laughs> ASIC or might be yeah. on the front page of the AFR. You know, like that's not without some stress. Yeah. And there is, there is good stress. There's a level, stress, I think they call it, and then it tips over. And yeah. learning about yourself and your own boundaries, is it's an ongoing thing. It's um, starting earlier than later is, is my recommendation and being kind to yourself along the way as you learn. Yes. Three questions I love to ask every person and I do want to use our remaining couple of minutes to ask you. Sure. Is law about who you know or what you know? I think that it is not what you know but who you know and what you know about them. Mm, that's a great response. Also, who knows you? Ooh. <laughs> Love that. Everyone answers it so differently. What do you wish you could tell your younger self? Dump him and go on exchange to Duke University. <laughs> so specific. I don't have many regrets, but that's one of them. <laughs> and what is your advice to others aspiring to follow in your fabulous shoes, Mel? Take the pressure off. Have fun. Follow the breadcrumbs of what lights you up and what you enjoy. That gut feel, that instinct. Start to get in touch with that and listen to my podcast, counselpodcast.com. <laughs> and I will add, follow you on TikTok. Oh, thank you. <laughs> At a minimum. Why <laughs> not? I'm everywhere. I'm prolific because I can't help myself. It's good. It's my good. My privacy settings are non-existent, which <laughs> irks my husband, but, you know, we, 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 make, we make it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to thank you for all the wonderful things that you do. You help so many people. It really is true that you can't be what you can't see. Seeing you carve out your unique, beautiful path in the legal profession certainly gave me the confidence because... I had the idea for RTL years and years ago. Did I get the confidence to do it? No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. Better late than never, Rose. And I wanted exactly. to start my podcast two years before I did. Yeah. It, take, it takes time sometimes. Yes. And you have to get yourself to a place as well. But anyway. 100%. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you for so your time welcome. today. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. I'm always so blown away and grateful for how candid my guests are on this podcast. I find it is really refreshing and inspiring and I'm also just really proud that this podcast is contributing in its own small way to breaking down some of the barriers that exist within the legal profession. I loved Mel's point about how empowering it is that she now has the confidence to bring her femininity, her pink and pearls to the boardroom and how she can balance this with also 
also being really assertive and confident in her work. This is space for it all to exist. These are themes that I'm really keen to continue exploring in this podcast. That brings us to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed this honest conversation, please do like, share, tell your friends about it. I'm slowly but surely reaching the people who need it the most, but word of mouth is by far the most effective way to spread the word. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for your support. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you. 